All right, so before I start, I'm going to hit this timer, because last time I did not do that, and 35 minutes later, they were stuck with kids. Um, so uh, we're continuing on our sermon series uh, in Galatians, um, and doing the fruits of the Spirit, um, and today I'll be discussing goodness. Um, and last night was actually kind of cool. Um, I had kind of a moment like Zach, well maybe it wasn't the exact moment, Exact moment. Good to pun. No, but uh, uh, I saw Blade, I saw Blade's face. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> but uh, um, so we were we were playing a video game last night, and I was getting really irritated, and I was getting really mad. And then as I'm getting mad, I was just like, well, I'm supposed to be preaching on goodness. So then I started thinking on goodness, and then some new ideas about the sermon started coming into my mind. And so I was like, you know what? I'm getting mad. I'm just going to jump off. And so I jumped off. 5.30 in the morning, so, you know, three and a half hours later, uh, some new stuff was added that uh, naturally me being me is just like, well, it can't just be a thought. It has to be backed up by the Greek. It has to be backed by all these things. And, you know, at the end of it, God was just like, or it could just be backed up by me. That could be what's going on, you know? So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try to listen to this. Um, but the, again, the idea is, or what we're talking about is about goodness. Um, and so what I wanted to do initially um, is ask a couple of you about what your definition of goodness is. Um, and don't, if you have an answer, please let me know, like if it's a definitive right answer, because I'm still working through that. I don't have a, a right answer, but um, there is a point to this. So uh, I, I uh, talked to some people before, uh, real quick, just so they knew the question. I didn't tell them the question, because I wanted it to be more of like an immediate response, but just that they knew they were going to be asked. And so, Blade, we're going to put you on the spot first. Um, and what would you say would be your definition of goodness? So doing, acting in a way that... Um, it's not for you to receive um, or without you having an expectation that you would demand. You simply do it for the betterment of whomever. Cool. That's definitely a part of it. Maria, what do you think? Not bad. <laughs> So it's pleasing to God, and would you say, so kind of using what you said, would you say having a reflective heart, like something that's more self-aware to determine if it's good or not, and if it's pleasing to God? I like that. Reflection's huge. Last person I'm putting on the spot is Chris, because it's not fair that we don't put someone in leadership on the spot. So Chris, what would you say is goodness? Jesus. That's, I mean, a good answer, but... <laughs> He is, yeah. Goodness is one of the defining attributes of God. It is something that is his and comes from him alone. And it is one of the ways in which we reflect his nature. Our goodness reflects him. And it is all from and about him. I like that. I mean, I like all of them, but, you know, the whole Jesus answer is typically why we're here. So, <laughs> but it is. Uh, it's something that we receive from God. Um, he is good. We hear that in John. 
Um, and then a byproduct of that is that we reflect that. If we are these image-bearing people uh, that have the rational thought as he does, that are pursuing him as Christians, we're only going to reflect that goodness. So I asked that, and I, I'll get more into why I asked that in a little bit. Um, but I, again, before we step into any sermon, I like to go through the background of the book that we're in. Um, so keep those questions and our definitions of goodness kind of in there. So it's self-reflective, it's benefiting other people, and it's not just ourselves without anything that we're gaining, uh, and it first originates from God. Those are the three answers that we got. But in the background of Galatians, um, and I'm going to be quick because the last time I preached, I kind of went a little more into it, um, is it was probably written uh, in the 16th century, and it was probably meant to correct other missionaries that were there, meaning that Paul initially went in, he did his mission there, other missionaries came in, and were kind of preaching the same idea, or maybe around the same person being Christ, but the um, practice or the orthodoxy that was going on behind it um, was different, in the sense of that... um, it was more likely a response to Jewish Christians. So there were people that were Jews that became Christians but still followed Mosaic law. Um, and what I mean by Mosaic law is that, you know, so essentially when you're reading Leviticus and things like that, or even circumcision would be a prime example, that if you were a Gentile and you became a Christian, they still would require that you were circumcised. So they'd follow these laws and saying you had to do those things to still be a Christian. Um, and then these Galatians were probably of ethnic origin, um, which would mean they were probably of a Celtic origin, which would have been about 55 CE, around there. Um, but something to note is that, and I didn't note last time, is with these Jewish Christians and following Mosaic law, it's essentially kind of like today when we're just like, we go after people and we're like, well, this is what the Bible says. Actually, I need to, I need to stop doing that. that that's, that's extremely, that is, that's, that's prejudice on my part. So I apologize for anyone that has an accent like that. That does not mean you're stupid or dumb. Um, but... My family, that's usually how it comes about. Uh, and, uh, but it's this idea that, like, um, because the Bible says it, therefore I can use it against you to hurt you or to harm you. Um, and it shouldn't be done in that way. And um, one of the things we need to be careful about is that was the best weapon that Satan used. Satan used Scripture out of context. And so, like, think about that. Like, just let that sink in, that the greatest weapon that the adversary, that Satan could use with scripture out of context. That's the best weapon he could use against Christ. Uh, do we not think that that's going to happen today? That we're not going to take scripture out of context, that we're not going to use it for our own gain or to manipulate as opposed to grow and mend and heal and encourage and love. Um, so this is what Paul's trying to correct here. This is the response that Paul is trying to give to these Galatians. Um, the other thing too is uh, Paul was like this too. Paul, I mean, we know the story of Paul. He followed this Mosaic law. He knew the law probably better than any of us today. Uh, And more importantly, I mean, whether he was responsible, like actively committing the murders of Christians, or was okay with it, he was there and allowed those things to happen. He remained silent during injustices of his time, kind of reminiscent of today. Um, So Paul was once like that, and it wasn't until Christ revealed himself to Paul, that he was able to understand what that true goodness was, that this Mosaic law means nothing apart from where it originates from. And so even in our lives today, when injustices and things like that are going on, is it, are we more worried about the humanitarian aspect of it, or are we asking ourselves, how does this glorify God in a byproduct, is that it could be in humanitarian rights, uh, and things of that nature. So um, we're going to just read the passage real quick. Um, so it's verse 16 through 21 in Galatians, Galatians 5, verse 16 through 21. Um, then we're going to go work through it a little bit, um, go into some little bit of philosophy, and then uh, tie in the questions that we asked earlier. 
So starting in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, um, goes like this. Live by the Spirit, I say. This is Paul. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is, the, is opposed to the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornification, impurity, uh, adultery, sorcery, enmity, and enmities, uh, impurity, Idolatry. Oh, I went back to it. jealousy, strife, anger, quarrels, uh, dissension, drunkenness, um, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, the, with passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. So I'm going to stop there. Um, what I was kind of kept awake with last night was this, is that there's a significant contrast between the works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit. And not just what Zach talked on last week, which was brilliant. Like, that just, like, was stuck in my mind still. I was talking to Eric Hirschberger about it on um, Wednesday, and he was just like, that's, that's really good. And pretty much what Zach noticed is that the words that are used is works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit, not works of the flesh, works of the Spirit. There's a difference there. Um, the word in the Greek that's used for works is actually a neutral word. Uh, and as all the nerds were excited about last week, I compared it to D&D. It means it's neither good or evil. So essentially, you can be completely neutral, and it still is of the flesh. It's not good. It's not bad. If it's not originating from God, then it's not good. And back to um, what you guys were kind of saying, so this is kind of tying in some of those questions. Um, the one aspect, so the works, again, neutral, um, if you notice them, they're very selfish. They're very focused on self. The next part that Zach knows is that fruits of the Spirit, it's something that fruit nourishes us, and typically fruit is connected to a vine. Christ is the vine and we are the branches, right? Um, and then he also noticed, noted that when Christ died, that seed was literally spread across the world. Um, that, that can nourish everything else. And so in our lives, we are supposed to suffer and carry our crosses, so that way those seeds that are also from Christ are going even further. But if you notice here, the contrast is that the fruits of the Spirit are all communal. They're all beyond yourself. You know, let's, let's look at them real quick again. Where you have love. Love is a, requires two, you know, for love to happen. You could completely love yourself, but if you're completely loving yourself, then it becomes the self, even God himself is triune. He loves within himself. There's relation within himself. Joy. Joy, we believe, comes from God. It's different from happiness. It's something that can transcend where you currently are. That comes from God. Relational between you and God. Peace. You can't have peace unless there's a situation for there not to be peace. You know, or you're in a position where you're going to God to receive said peace. Patience. Well, that's pretty much a given. Uh, uh, kindness and generosity those things, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These all benefit a community. These all benefit beyond yourself. It's not focused just on you. 
or the previous ones, are all about you. So one of the aspects of goodness is that it applies to more than just you. It applies to a community. It will build up those around you. So as you're praying and you're going through, like, God, how do I focus on goodness? How can I better you and stuff like that? Well, if you're trying to discern, one of the aspects is how does this affect other people regardless of how it affects me? The byproduct is that you can enjoy that with them, but the main goal is that it glorifies God. It's of his spirit. It's being backed with scripture. Um, and then it's also bettering a group of people. So it's a, it's a good discernment thing to see if you're pursuing goodness. Um, but naturally, if you're like me, and probably like Maria, um, if you were talking about goodness, like, hey, that sounds nice, that's cool, but that's what the Bible says. Well, well what is goodness then? Give me a definition of goodness. You asked me the question. Well, philosophers would argue um, that, uh, and this is where uh, I call it the Jesus response, if you will, where you ask a question, but you respond with a question. Uh, But instead of asking what is goodness, let's ask ourselves what is evil. And so early ancient philosophy and even medieval thought would argue that evil is a lack of good. And so this is one of the definitions that when we try to talk about uh, apologetics, and we try to argue that, um, you know, God is good. This is something that I would arguably say is a sound thought. Um, now, there's only a couple of those. One is that the metaphysical, uh, meaning that uh, there's divine causality. And what I mean by that is there's cause and effect. To some degree, there has to be an infinite causality. Um, so it could be a blob of water. It could be, you know, Rick and Morty. It could be, you know, whatever you want to call it. But there's some <clears throat> divine causality. There's some infinite cause. So there's that. Um, but still, we can't say it's the Christian God. We can't say it's the Muslim God. We can't say it's the Jewish God. It, it's just some divine causality. The next thing we know is to some degree would have to be good to some extent. Because there is no evil if there is not good. Evil is a lack of goodness. So to some degree, this God, if there was an eternal God, um, or if we are arguing this from a rational thought, um, there was some goodness to begin with. Now, I I go into that um, because where the philosopher would say that evil is a lack of good um, or perversion of it, and no one apart from mental illness desires to be evil, but we desire to pursue what we believe to be good. And what I mean by that is that um, when we're making decisions or even when we disagree with people of different opinions and stuff like that, chances are they're not believing that opinion because they think it's wrong or it's mean or it's malice or it's going to hurt people. They believe that to be the best good in their life. They're orienting their lives around what their perceived goodness. Um, and it's a perversion of goodness. And we're all guilty of it. We're all faulty of it. Um, but... Uh, for a second with me, um, and I've been working with Holly with this too, um, let's, let's just pretend the Adam and Eve account isn't a literal account, okay? Just, I know it sounds shocking, but there's reason for this. There's a lot of really cool things that you can notice if you're not so worried about this opinion about being like Adam and Eve were completely literal, you know, seven days and stuff like that. You're missing some of the most beautiful parts of scripture because of this. And so Augustine, I would say, is probably one of the earliest theologians that argued this point. Uh, And he would say that man did not sin because we chose to do evil. We sinned because we chose to do a lesser good. We chose to do a perversion of good. We saw knowledge of good and evil, which is an attribute of God. Knowledge is an attribute of God, just as much as goodness is an attribute. Love is an attribute. But what we did is we exalted that attribute as God itself. So if this is God... 
one of his attributes is knowledge, we then said knowledge is God, and we took that route. So we took a lesser good, and we elevated it as God himself. This is also what Satan does. Scripture is good, but he took it out of context and used it for himself. Now, consider in our lives, what are we doing with that? You know, humanitarian values and justice is good, but are we doing it for our own self-interest? Are we doing it because it makes us feel good? Are we doing it because on Facebook we get a bunch of likes? Are we doing it because it actually is bettering the people around us and glorifying God? Are we worshiping the creator or just a part of him? And so this is why the, kind of this ancient philosophy is cool. But if you look at this Adam and Eve account so literally, and not that you can't, or I'm saying that it's wrong that you do, I'm just saying be open to the idea of what's being shown here or what could be being shown here. Because there's arguments against, you know, whether it was a lesser good or not. Um, but I think that, that analogy or even that thought that Augustine has or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, um, is a very good um, self-reflective, back to what Maria was saying, aspect of looking at goodness when we're saying how are we doing good for the world you know are we simply doing good because we perceive it to be good or we can rationalize well like well god did this so therefore it must be good or is it truly something that's originating from god that's a fruit of his spirit that his spirit is talking to us um it's also being back through scripture which is spirit breathe and it's also affecting the people around us regardless if it's affecting ourselves like blade said so these all kind of tie in Another thing is that whether we are good or not, or good or not, God will continue to show his goodness regardless of what we do or don't do. And so if we have a situation where we're like, oh, I didn't do this or something like that, it doesn't matter. God's going to do the plan he wants to do. That's the beauty of his grace. It's not about how perfect we are. He's going to find the people that need to do it, and he's going to work through it. And if they're not there, creation itself will testify to it. So I'm going to ask you again to let's maybe not take the flood account literally. Let's look and see what else is being told in this. Again, not saying that you shouldn't or that you should. Just saying, just just take a step back, breathe, and try to see some of the other things that are being said here. And this is one of the great moments I got to have with Holly uh, last week, is that um, the flood account is another example of the creation account, um, and that there's water. So Hebrew culture, water represents chaos. Also in Hebrew culture, there's a bunch of numbers and stuff that represent certain things, like two is a perfect number because it means a perfect witness. There's two people to witness. This is also found in God himself, the Holy Spirit, Christ, and the Father. The Father says something, there's two parts that are also testifying and witnessing to the other and all the way around. So no matter what, there is always a perfect witness to God himself. So this is an important thing. In Revelation, you have the two witnesses. It's a perfect witness to what's being said. In the flood account, what happens? Water floods the earth. If water represents chaos, what if we're seeing the analogy being made here, even if it is literal, but there's something deeper that's going on here, um, that literally chaos is so profound in the world that it floods it. It surrounds it. But what does God do? There's two of all creation. Creation itself testifies and witnesses to his goodness. So whether or not you are good or not, his goodness will always prevail. Even in Genesis, when there's chaos and there's water, what does God do with that chaos? He creates land. He makes foundation. There's something to be said here that no matter what's going on in our lives, God will make you a foundation that you can stand on because it's based off of him. It is rooted in him. And also that creation itself testifies to it. Paul goes into this when he talks about kind of like the, the theology of natural theology, that you can look around and you see the works of God. This is kind of what's tying in here. So what we know... Um, so far, at least I hope what we're gathering from the sermon, is that uh, works, whether good or evil, 
if they are not aligned with God's will, um, and not just in Scripture, but also in our union with His Spirit, and do not benefit ourselves, or don't do not benefit beyond ourselves, they're not good. Um, rather, um, they're not holy. And there's a difference between holiness and goodness. Um, what Paul's talking about here is that holy goodness. Um, and what I mean by that is it's this goodness that completely is derived from God. It's something that transcends us. It's something that we are dependent on him for. It is, you know, what, what the martyrs died for. It's what they went, you know, to the grave singing praises and praying and asking for forgiveness to those who harmed them. It's that level of goodness that Paul is trying to push here because it's beyond ourselves. It takes you to the point that death is no longer a fear. Instead, you start feeling that um, sorrow for those that still fear it, and you want to reach out for them. You want to have that compassion and grace that you have received. Um, another thing I want to say, too, is that it does not, spe- or does not equate to prosperity. Uh, and so what I mean by that is that, so like say that you are actively following God, and you are actively pursuing these fruits of the Spirit, and you are receiving them from God, it doesn't mean material gain. It doesn't mean financial gain. It does not mean life is going to be better. Um, let's look at Mary, you know, called blessed. Uh, son is crucified and called a thief. Arguably, her husband died off, so she was a widow. Um, had a child in a barn. I mean, these things, like, and she's called blessed. To the point that the Catholic Church, whether it's right or wrong, truly exalt her to a position of just, like, we should be a lot like her. And I think that some of the evangelical churches done a really poor job at, as I think this is one of the greatest church leaders we could follow, but more importantly, it's a great church woman that we should follow. Uh, this idea that blessing is not how we receive it or how we perceive it, uh, but instead is how it glorifies God. And in her instance, it was literally glorifying her son, which is just a radical thought for her to go through that. Not to mention she was an exceptionally young age, too, you know. Um, and, I mean, women have it hard today, but they had it really hard then, too. And that's one of the other things is you have what does Scripture do that many other religious texts do not do? The first thing to testify to Christ is what? Two women. I think it's just a fascinating thought. Like, it's, it's God actually being like, don't care about gender rules, bro. Like, we're just going to flip this all over, you know? And so, like, uh, I, I just like that. And so... Um, Lastly, because um, I see I'm hitting 22 minutes, um, we ask ourselves, what is our definition of goodness again? Um, this is the definition I would good or give, um, but that's the cool thing about Paul, and the cool thing about Scripture is it tends to answer it on its own. Um, and that answer is found in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, so I'll read that. So first I'm going to give my little statement, and then uh, I'll ask Scripture that is better than what I have to say, uh, articulate that. Um, and so hopefully I'm the one echoing, not it. Um, But goodness is aligning ourselves with Christ, accepting the fruit he offers over the crops of our lives we grow. This fruit is not of our own, but will enable uh, and convict us to share it. It invokes community and is also, more importantly, given to us by his spirit. That's what I mean by all that is that, as Chris was saying, goodness is rooted in Christ. This true aspect of goodness can only be given to us by Christ, but it is given to us by his spirit, through the fruit of the spirit, And something I really want to point on here that was convicting to me last night is that Scripture is important. But again, it can be taken out of context and it can be used as a weapon. And this is what Paul is trying to correct here, is it's being used as a weapon and being taken out of context. Um, And so in correcting this, and even though the the Spirit breathed Scripture, um, if we're not aligned with the Spirit, do we even believe that then? 
And what I mean by that is that if we, if we are walking with God and we are walking with this Holy Spirit, if we're not listening to it and walking in, in you know, kind of following its direction, when we go to Scripture, yeah, we can argue that it's God-breathed. We can have the opinion that it's God-breathed. But at the end of the day, we're not allowing God to breathe into it because he's not even breathing into our lives. So it's important that it's not just found in Scripture, that it's breathed by that, but it's also found within you, that that Spirit indwells in you and speaks to us. Do we really believe that? That, you know, Christ says, it's greater that I go that his spirit is present here and now as if he was sitting directly in front of us. Do we believe that? This is what Christ says, that it is better that we have this. And I think it's just a fascinating thing. So goodness is rooted in, in Christ, um, comes from the spirit as a fruit given to us that nourishes us. It's by his spirit, both in scripture and him speaking to us, and it will benefit those around us. And that's one of the really cool things is I never told the three of them um, but the question was, and I think it's fascinating that through the three of them, we came to the exact same conclusion I had. And I think it's just really cool. Uh, and, but that's the beauty of this idea of goodness, right? Is every single one of them, and myself included, have a perception of what is good. Um, but if we collectively come together and we look past our differences and we look past our own personal opinions but pursue God, we can arrive to an answer that is found in Scripture, that is breathed by a spirit, not just in me, but in three other people. So we're going to read this uh, and conclude off of that. And then, Chris, are you doing communion today? Sure. Cool. So uh, chapter 6 in Galatians, uh, verses 1 through 10. So this is Paul's response to what goodness would look like. Actually, I mean the fruits of the spirit in general. My friends, uh, if anyone is detected in transgressions, you have received the spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you, reap, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we, for we will reap the harvest, or we will reap at harvest time. If we do not give up, sow then. Whenever we have the opportunity, let us not for the good of all people, and especially for those of our family and faith. And so what Paul's trying to argue here is this idea, again, it's not inclusive. It's not um, the fruit of the Spirit for you. It's the fruit of the Spirit for the body, fruit of the Spirit for the community of people around us. Uh, it comes from Christ. Uh, I love how Paul says that if you sow of your own flesh, um, you will reap corruption from the flesh. He doesn't say that you're not going to have material gain doesn't say you're not going to have wealth, doesn't say you're not going to have good things, uh, but what he says is that you have the corruption of it. That tool can be used for wrong, and you will perceive it as being good. But what does he say about blessing? Pretty much the only blessing he promises is eternal life, and a sense of what you can gain. That's pretty much what he's pointing to. But there's a benefit in that. I mean, look at our saints, look at people in our church today. And when I say church today, I mean people in this building that are actively suffering, and I've yet to see them at any time in their life closer to God and more just emanating what it means to look and be like God. And so carry each other's burdens, as Paul says. This is how this goodness happens. Be okay that we're not perfect and that Christ is and that we're in need of him as our Savior. 
All right, I'm pray real quick, and uh, Chris is going to come up with a communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you would just you would share um, this scripture uh, and this message with me, Lord, so I could share it as well, Lord. I thank you that uh, it's not me that just gets to speak, um, but that you get to speak, Lord, and that um, I can see it testify within so many other people, Lord. I thank you for the lives that they live that convict me to even see this way. I thank you um, for the encouragement just through Pastor Appreciation Month, Lord. Uh, at the end of the day, like, you, you put me in this place, and I resented you for it. And then moments where I see Zach just sharing the gospel and just being so excited to talk about his love for you. Um, this is the greatest reward I could ever have, Lord. Lord, I thank you um, for our church family. Um, I thank you for the union that we have as this community, Lord. And I pray that we continue to glorify you uh, and all the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. But as we focus on goodness this week, Lord, that uh, we would uh, first and foremost remember that it comes from you, that our definition would be defined by you, um, that we would ask ourselves how what we're doing benefits those around us and not just ourselves, Lord. And I pray that we would go to your scripture but also listen to your voice speaking to us and indwelling in us. Lord, uh, I pray that you would bless this time of communion, maybe unifying, glorifying to you. And in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I enjoy remembering is that whenever we discuss the fact that the creation itself proclaims the glory of God, the easiest way we can see creation proclaiming it is in his goodness. God created and it was Good, right? Thank you. God created, and it was Jesus. Wait, no, that is completely inaccurate. Jesus was not created. Okay. God created, and it was good. He created everything, the heavens and the earth, and it was good. He created light, and it was good. He created land, it was good. He created, uh, he separated land from water, it was good. He separated the waters into the heavens and the earth, it was good. He created animals, it was good. He created people. It was good, right? God created and it was good. Creation reflects his goodness. And so whenever we see the beauty of his creation, we can see his benevolence, his goodness in it. If benevolent purpose is what goodness is, we see it in creation itself. But even more so, if benevolent creation is what goodness, if benevolent intention is what goodness is, then we also see it heavily in the gospel, right? Because this good thing that he made that we broke and made bad, he restores to goodness. And we, in our non-benevolent intentions, as we push against him and away from him, as we choose not to do good or to do a lesser good, as we choose not to reflect him, he still forgives and cares for and provides salvation for. The gospel proclaims the glory of God, and what Christ did for us proclaims his goodness, right? He was good, is good, will forever be good. And his choice to demonstrate that goodness to us, again, proclaims his goodness forever. 
We know that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. The echoes of God's goodness reverberate from the beginning of creation through the incarnation and death and resurrection of Christ and reverberate throughout history, pointing towards his coming return whenever his ultimate good will again rule in this world. So celebrate his goodness with me today in communion. Remember who he is and what he's done. When you're ready, please feel free to come forward, partake of the bread, partake of the cup, and remember your good God who shows his love for you in everything.